Thank you for joining us on the Waymaker Church podcast today. We hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and makes a way for the new and deeper with Jesus Christ in your life. Enjoy. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to be there, and we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We start a series today called This Means War. About three weeks ago, came into my house. My wife and I had been uh, gone for the morning, and I smelled propane in the house. Uh, quickly, we went to the kitchen, saw that the, uh, the gas stove, one of the nozzles or one of the switches had uh, kind of been, uh, it, it, it was just slightly between the off and the, and the trigger uh, to light it. And so the gas had been leaking for who knows how long, not long enough uh, to, to set off the sensors, the carbon monoxide sensors, but long enough to put that smell in the kitchen put that smell in the kitchen. Now, if you know, uh, propane is not something that you want uh, floating around in your house. Uh, it's something that could be very dangerous. It can uh, cause, of course, uh, your house to catch on fire, but it can also cause a lot of damage uh, to your respiratory system and even death. So what they do is because propane is not, you cannot smell propane, they actually add the odor to it uh, so that you will know it's in the space uh, that might be leaking. Uh, and if you can't smell that, then you know that the carbon monoxide sensor will tell you the danger is in the place. The same thing is true of our spiritual enemy. Uh, a lot of times he is hiding. He's hiding in the corners. He's hiding underneath things and, and wanting to be uh, just mysterious, wanted to be undercover, uh, not being outright, hey, here I am. And so what the Lord does is he gives us the information that we need about who he is, where he is, and what he's up to. And that's what we're going to talk about today, because second only to the Holy Spirit, the most faithful church member is the devil himself. Oh, come on. Somebody got to get a hold of that. I'm going to say that again. Second only to the Holy Spirit, the most faithful church member is the devil himself. He is allowed, yes, to operate as a tear, as a weed among wheat within the church. And so today we're putting him on notice. We're letting him know today that on our watch, this means war. Anybody with me? Anybody with me in the house? If you're not with me yet, you will be. You will be. Ephesians chapter 6, finally, the Apostle Paul says, he's in the sixth chapter of this letter. He's bringing it home, and he wants this church to know that as he started in chapter 1, talking to them about who they are in Christ and who they were in Christ, and, and then the manifold wisdom and the mysteries of God that is now uh, played out in the church and how the church is, is God's plan to spread the good news of Jesus Christ uh, to the nations. He's unpacking that, unpacking that, and finally he gets to chapter four and he talks about the structure of the church and, and the strategy that the church should go after and building up leaders. And then in chapter five, he talks about relationships with other believers and relationships in the home. And then he says, finally, let me tell you what can all dismantle it. And so he says this, be strong, which means that we cannot be strong. And so he wants us to know that we need to be strong, but be strong in something greater than yourself, greater than your good intentions, greater than your good enough, smart enough, religious enough, 
greater than that. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Whose mighty power? His mighty power. If you're going to go up against this enemy, you and I have got to go up against him knowing who he is and what he's up to, but also whose power will defeat him. The name of Jesus. We have the authority and the power to tear down strongholds in the name of Jesus. Put on, he says, the full armor of God. In other words, God has given us the defensive weapon and the offensive weapon. So what is God's battle plan for the church? God wants his church to be strong. What does that mean? It means we have to be aware of the power and the weaponry And we've already talked about it. Summer was talking about it just a a few seconds ago. She was talking about joy. She was talking about worship is a weapon against the strongholds of the enemy. And man, do we need that. So we're gonna get to Ephesians uh, 6 in just a second. Um, In Robert Greene's 33 Strategies of War, he talks about the first strategy. And he uses the story of Xenophon of the fourth century. Now, hold on, those of you who are not history nerds, don't check out on me. Xenophon, some of you know this story, he was a farmer philosopher. He lived a coddled life. He would raise goats and and chickens, and, and then he would walk into Athens and, you know, wax philosophical with his contemporary Aristotle. That was his life. One day, he was sitting at his farm in a a friend of his came by, he hadn't seen in a while. He says, hey, uh, the Persians are hiring Greeks to fight a war with them. We could make some money. You want to go? And Xenophon says, why would I want to go? I'm not a soldier. I'm a farmer and a philosopher. He says, but yeah, but don't you want the adventure? And Xenophon says, sure. It was that easy. He says, even though I'm not a soldier, I'm a historian, I'll go and keep records of the whole thing. And so 10,000 Greeks joined the Persian army as mercenaries. What they didn't know is that they were joining a civil war against Artaxerxes and his rebellious brother, Cyrus. And Cyrus had hired 10,000 Greeks to go up against his brother. Well, within days of the first battle, Cyrus is killed. Uh Uh-oh, not a good thing. So all of the people who were fighting with Cyrus now have to contend with Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes says, no harm, no foul. You guys go home, no big deal. Sure, yep, no big deal, go home. So they start on their way home. Well, Artaxerxes sends an emissary and says, I want your commanders to meet with my commanders. We're gonna talk about some things. Okay, sure, so commanders meet with commanders. What do the Persian commanders say to the Greek? commanders off with your head and they kill him yeah not a good day for those guys one of them escapes runs back to the 10,000 Greek mercenaries and says we're all gonna die we've been tricked panic goes throughout the camp some guys just get drunk and say the heck with it if I'm gonna die I might as well go out it's Miller time Okay, is that a little wave? You, you finally got it. You finally got it. Some just put, you know, their face in their hands and, and just felt sorry for themselves and despondency. Remember Xenophon? He was in his tent. He fell asleep, had a dream that a lightning bolt hit his house and caught on fire. He woke up from the dream and he knew 
what he was supposed to do. He needed to start a fire. He needed to get his countrymen out of this state of panic and despondency. The ones who weren't getting drunk and the ones who weren't feeling sorry for themselves were fighting amongst themselves. Xenophon stands up among those who will listen and he says, here's what we're going to do. Tomorrow, when the Persian ambassador gets here, we're going to tell him something. And it's what we're going to tell each other right now. And that is, we declare war against the Persians. As soon as he said that, everyone's mind shifted. That's exactly what we need to do. We cannot ignore them. We cannot negotiate with them. We cannot surrender. We must go to war. And as a result, all 10,000 of those soldiers made it home. Now, why do I tell you this? Because we have a real enemy. And a lot of times in church, we have a losing mindset when it comes to our spiritual enemy. And, and I want to talk about that for a second, why we don't declare war on our enemy. First, and that is this. Let me read to you what Xenophon says. I, I think what he says is going to help us. He says, you know, I am sure that not numbers or strength brings victory in war, but whichever army goes into battle stronger in soul their enemies generally cannot withstand them. What is the first strategy of war? You have to declare war. Today, Waymaker Church, we are once again declaring war on a clear and present enemy who, anytime the church meets, the Holy Spirit is there, and guess who else wants to disrupt, divide, discourage and bring about depression, our spiritual enemy. Here's a losing mindset. Number one, we can ignore our spiritual enemy. We can ignore him. La, la, la. Oh, I love Jesus. I believe he rose from the dead. But as far as, you know, the devil, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess he's around. I don't know. And we think of him almost like this cartoonish characters from the animation that we grew up with or these mythological ideas like gargoyles. We ignore him. And as a result, when we ignore our spiritual enemy, he takes parts of our mind, our heart, our habits, and our home, and we didn't even know it. There was a propane leak in the house, and before it was known, it was too late. Losing mindset, what else? We negotiate with our spiritual enemy. Okay, here's the deal. I know you're real. And I know what you're up to, but here's the deal. I'm going to give you a little bit of my mind. I'm going to give you a little bit of my heart. But you can't have that part and you can't have that part. You can have this part, but you can't have that part. I'm going to give you a little bit of my habits. You can have these habits over here. These aren't too bad, I guess. And you can even have some of my home. I will negotiate with you. Hmm. What happens? What happens when we negotiate with our spiritual enemy? What happens when we don't declare war, but we negotiate? What we do is we make agreements. We make agreements with our spiritual enemy. And as a result, a problem begins to happen because we make more and more agreements before we've handed over the keys, which is the other losing mindset. And that is if we finally just surrender to our spiritual enemy. I don't know how I got here. I don't know why I'm walking away from Jesus. I don't know why I'm walking away from his church. I don't know why I'm walking away from my faith. But I surrender. 
And we say things like, well, I guess the devil just made me do it, whatever. And the spirit of cynicism and the spirit of religion and the spirit of mockery takes over our life as we point our finger outward when the whole time it started with agreements that we made until we finally just surrendered all together. Today, we're going to expose the enemy's tactic. Here's the problem, though, and here's the problem that I want us to solve. We don't declare war. If we don't, if we don't declare war on our spiritual enemy, we get stuck in a losing mindset and conceal our light. A losing mindset and conceal our light. Here's what I want to say to you. The enemy is clear and present. He has schemes, and we're going to look at those schemes in a second. Jesus' death on a cross, his resurrection, if you believe in that and you've given your life to that, nothing can take that from you. But the enemy can definitely steal your mind and your effectiveness and ultimately your joy in this life. And that's exactly what he wants to do to the church. Why? Because second only to the Holy Spirit, the most faithful church attendance is the devil himself. Mm. So, put on the full armor of God, Paul says, so that you can take your stand, so that you can take a stand against the devil's scheme. You can do what? You can stand. You can take a stand. You can say, I declare war on you. The devil is a lie, and he will not have this mind. He will not have this heart. He will not have my habits, and he will not have my home. Take a stand. It is an active stance. He has schemes, Paul says. What does that mean? That means while we try to ignore or negotiate or outright surrender, he has strategies every day to defeat us, to keep us silent, to keep us trapped, to keep the light turned off in our lives. And what happens is day after day, churches and believers give the keys over to these agreements. They start fighting about the color of the carpet and secondary doctrinal issues and remain divisive and disunified from each other instead of charging the gates of hell with the light of Jesus Christ. And the whole while, the enemy is saying, just ignore me or give me more credit than I'm due, but certainly don't declare war. Today, Waymaker Church, we declare war on the enemy of this church, of your mind, of your heart, of your home. Is anybody in the house with me on this? Come on. We take a stand. Against his schemes, against his strategies. So who is the devil? Who is he? Let's, let's talk about it. He is the accuser, the slanderer, the enemy, the accuser. Here's his strategy. He, he cannot physically harm you, but he can psychologically and spiritually accuse you. He can accuse you. And he can accuse God. Did he really say? First question in the Bible. Did he really? 
Does he really have your best interest? Why don't you just follow your cravings and your flesh? Just follow it. It will be worth it. And then what happens when we fall into temptation? The very person who tempted us into it now accuses us. See, see, now you've turned your back on God and you can never go back to him. He will never forgive you for that. What happens? We get defeated. We get trapped. He is a slanderer. He is the enemy. Neil Anderson says this, and this is so big. He says, as far as the devil is concerned, the next best thing to keeping you chained in spiritual darkness or having you live an emotional wreck is confusing your belief system. He lost you in the eternal sense when you became a child of God. If he can muddy your mind and weaken your faith with partial truths, however, he can neutralize your effectiveness for God and stunt your growth as a Christian. That's what he's up to in this very moment. A battle is happening in this very room. Yeah, why? Because second only to the Holy Spirit, the most faithful church attendance is the devil himself. Oh, he is here, and he's doing his work. I'm going to tell you this. At the end of the first service, uh, we had people doing battle in the spiritual. And I'm going to tell you, some strongholds were broken. Some attachments were broken. Some accusations were defeated. I want to tell you this too. Some agreements that have been made that have carried people into seasons after seasons of defeat and slander and chains were broken. And he ain't happy about it. But here's what I want to say. We are authorized and empowered by the gospel of Jesus Christ that Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. No enemy can stand against that truth. Come on, come on. So here's what I want to say. If you've turned your back on God and you, somehow you wandered in here and you thought, I could, never, I could never go back. Let me tell you something. It takes one moment of repentance. God, I don't have the power to fix myself, but Jesus does. Will you forgive me? And he says, I've already done it. Let's go. If that's your story, you're here. You had an appointment with God. So Satan's battle scheme, what is it? It is to confuse and accuse our mind. It's to confuse you. We live in an age of confusion. Right now, the more confused you are, the more celebrated you are. Isn't that what the enemy loves? Let me celebrate confusing an entire generation of people. Get their minds all muddled. Get their minds all trapped. Start making them suspicious of one another. Let me divide not just the, the, the neighborhoods and the communities. Let me divide the church. Woo, come on. He's got it. Confuse and accuse our mind. Here's the question I want to ask today. And this is, these, these, are, these are some heavy questions. What is the enemy accusing you of right now? I want you to think about that. What is the enemy accusing you of right now? You're just going to be just like your parents. They got a divorce. You're going to get divorced. 
just what? It's what you do. It's what we do. We give up. When it gets hard, when it gets difficult, we just give up. That's what your parents did. That's what your granddaddy did. That's what you do. Huh, okay, well, maybe I should. And then you have a culture that's so confused, it celebrates it. It celebrates it. The enemy, what is he accusing you of right now? What do you feel defeated in? What did you walk in here just defeated in? Depressed from? Distracted by? Or doubtful of? What is that? Because I'm going to tell you this. That is not from the Lord. That's not from the Lord. Defeat, depression, distraction, and doubt is not from the Lord. It's your spiritual enemy. It's my spiritual enemy conspiring with my flesh in the age of this world to chain us up. To say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember when you got baptized and you died to your old life and you raised into new life? Hogwash. Yeah, that's not, that's not true. You made a fool of yourself and you made a fool of all those people. You are your strongholds. You are a product of your generation. Mm. Verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not with people. Turn to the person beside you and say, you are not my struggle. Go ahead and tell them that. Yes. Now, some of you are like, I don't know if I can say that. I'm not so sure. Yes. Let me tell you this. Our spiritual enemy wants it to be about people. If he can get us tied up, if he can get us distracted with each other, and this happens in churches, somebody hurt our feelings, somebody sinned against us, somebody didn't meet our expectations, somebody dropped the ball. Yeah, you can't count on them, but you can count on me. Oh, did you hear she was gossiping about you? You should just resent her and hold on to that bitterness. Oh, oh, don't don't confront that out of love. No, 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 no. Don't do that. No, that'll be too hurtful. That'll stir things up. You might get really, really hurt if you do that. Oh, no, don't follow the truths. Satan's battle plan. What is his scheme? What is his scheme? Write this down if you're taking notes. This is, this is big. This is big. Battle against people instead of his schemes. Battle against people instead of his schemes. What would happen if a, if a church in an unsuspecting community outside of a, another unsuspecting community that when you tell people where you're from, they're like, where? Oh, it's just south of Charlottesville. It's two hours from Richmond. Okay, cool. Lynchburg. Oh, just outside of Lynchburg, there's a little town called Forest. That one. What would happen if a church in that little community just started saying, people are not my enemy. They are just sometimes accused and confused by our enemy. And if I can press in with humility and courage, maybe, just maybe, we cannot let him win. What if you multiplied that over a community and instead of being suspicious and bitter and jealous towards each other, we were actually loving, patient, kind, faithful, gentle, 
and we acted in self-control. What self-control? What would happen if a group of Christians actually controlled their mouth? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we got something there, didn't we? What, what, what would happen if we, were, if we just shut our mouths more than we actually opened them? And when we opened them, we spoke with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. Here's what would happen. We would push back the gates of hell. Some of you left church for a long time or you've sat in a church with your hands sitting on your hands, doing nothing because you were a part of a church that made people the problem. And the enemy the whole time was laughing. Oh, he was there. He was there. And the Holy Spirit and the word of God was trying to influence away from that. But the enemy kept making agreements with people and people kept making agreements with him. Before it was over, they were fighting over the color of the carpet in hymns versus choruses. And oh my goodness, what happens? Verse 12. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He's talking about territorial hierarchies that Demonic forces actually take territory in communities. When you think about our community here in forest and outside the surrounding area, what is the stronghold? It's not poverty. It's idolatry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, well, yeah, I'll go to church, but I don't really need God. I got my job. I got my 401K. I got my status. I got a few friends who think I'm a big deal. And the enemy the whole time is saying, yeah, and that's all you need. You got your reputation and you got your stuff. You don't need to give your authority over to God. You don't need to give your will over to the Lord. What happens is a rule and authority gets into a community and it builds a stronghold. And then all of a sudden, what happens when you have self-focus, self-worshiping people, marriages start falling apart. And kids start passing down strongholds from one generation to the next. They start chasing after the American dream instead of the kingdom of God. Generation after generation after generation until the church is just this hollow museum of people singing these empty songs and these empty sermons to hollow, trapped souls. Not on our watch, Waymaker Church. Come on. We declare war against the enemy schemes. Second Corinthians chapter 10. The Apostle Paul is writing a similar church on a similar issue. And he's trying to give them some tools. For though we live in the world, right? We live in the world. A broken world, broken systems, broken leaders, 
broken communities. We do not wage war as the world does. We do not divide. We do not scheme. We do not point fingers. We do not hate. We do we are not bitter and we do not use these we do not use power and might and hold things against people. We don't use that. What does he say? The weapons instead The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, on the contrary, they have divine power. What do these powers do? What does the power of love and courage and justice and mercy do? To demolish strongholds, to to say to a mind, a heart, and a home, and then ultimately a community, in the name of Jesus, we call out the stronghold of materialism. We call out the stronghold of divorce. We call out the stronghold of sexual confusion. We call out the stronghold of idolatry. And in the name of Jesus, we bind it and we loose instead the good news of Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected and restoring all things back to heaven. That's what we do. That's the weapon that we use. And we start with our own repentance. What is a stronghold? It's incorrect thinking patterns in our minds programmed to think contrary to the truth. And we see it all throughout the New Testament. The Apostle Paul is writing to these churches who have started to get into Jesus plus, Jesus plus more. Jesus isn't enough to save you. And he's like, no, 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 Jesus is enough. You don't need these things over here. Jesus is enough. Well, these strongholds, these incorrect thinking patterns in mind, they, they, they're contrary to the truth. And so what do we have to fight lies with but the truth? We demolish arguments, he says. Remember, he's using the same language he was to the Ephesians. And every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Arguments and pretensions set themselves up. And the enemy scheme is to get these arguments and pretensions into the house of the Lord, into the people of God. What are these arguments and pretensions? This is so big. Thought patterns that erode our faith and trust in God. Did God really say? Is it really a big deal? You know, is it really a big deal? Yeah. And so we don't make a big deal about things we should, and then we make a big deal about things that don't matter. And the enemy's like, got him. What is his scheme? What is his battle plan? What what does he do? The devil plus lies plus strongholds, because it goes in that order, equals defeat. If he can defeat your mind, lie to you, get you to agree to those lies, you are just a product of your sin. God could never take you back. You can't trust the church. You can't trust the word of God. You can't trust any of that. You are just a victim. You are your wounds. You are what happened to you, right? If he can just get, then he can defeat you. He can silence you. He can get you isolated. He He can tear you away from the church and get you focused on things that will just distract you and depress you and defeat you. 
And that's what he does. What else? Look, look what Paul says. And this is, this is huge. He says, and we take captive. We're taking prisoners, y'all, in this war. And what are the prisoners? Every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Every lie that the enemy tries to tell us. We use the word of God, the spirit of God, and the people of God to take that thought captive and say, that is not of the Lord, and in the name of Jesus, I bind it. I bind it. I am not the strongholds of my family. I am not this besetting sin in my life. I am not the old woman. I am not the old man. Confusion is not of the Lord. What would happen? So God's battle math, what is it? And that's, it's this simple. Christ equals truth equals demolition of strongholds equals freedom. And I'm gonna tell you something. When you have freedom, freedom from the fear of man, from the fear of your enemy, from the fear of, of whatever it is that goes bump in the night of your mind and heart, you are a force. You are a light of love and courage in this world. And you can walk into spaces and places and you can smell evil. I smell it. And in the name of Jesus, I bind this darkness in this home, in this house. It has no place here. Can you imagine if there was a group of people who walk in such humility and such courage, I'm telling you, they could shift a generation. Not because they're walking arrogantly or religiously, but humbly and courageously empowered by the kingdom of God and the spirit of God in a lost and dying world. That is who we are called to be. Set the captives free was Jesus's mission. Jesus, in the Gospel of Mark, as soon as he comes on the scene in chapter one, there's no birth narrative, there's no young boy Jesus narrative that you see in the other Gospels. Mark goes right into the action. It says that Jesus preached repentance and that the kingdom of God was at hand. And three verses later, he walks into the synagogue and he delivers a demon-possessed man. Who was in church, y'all? He was in the synagogue. And this demonically possessed man, the demon speaks to Jesus and says, we know who you are. Have you come to torment us? And Jesus says what? Be quiet. Get out. Can you imagine a group of people in the authority and the power of Jesus Christ saying, not on our watch. We walk in the kingdom of God and we see where it is. We expose it. Listen. That is our portion. That is our portion. So I want to talk about the portals, and then I want to invite some of you to respond. Here are six portals that allow the enemy to come in and start negotiating with your heart and mind. The number one is this. If you don't get any of it, get this one. Unforgiveness. If he can keep you bitter, and unforgiving. I want you to think of the most heinous thing that's ever happened by the most heinous person in your life. And he wants you to hang on to it. 
Hang on to it. And then all the little foxes and all the little relationships in your life that cause you to be bitter and to keep people at arm's length, that is a portal for the enemy. He's got you right where he wants you. Bitter, angry, frustrated, and tied up. You cannot love people that you do not forgive. Unforgiveness. Some of you today need to forgive. Next, unresolved pain and trauma. Someone wounded you or a group of people wounded you and it is a trauma on your heart and mind, maybe even your body, and you haven't resolved it. You haven't said, this happened to me, but I am not a victim. The Lord can heal me. You've kept it secret. You've, demi- you, you've, you've minimized it. You, you've, you've forgotten it. You've pushed it away. And that is a portal that the enemy wants to use. Next, repetitive, unrepentant sin. Repetitive. There's sin in my life, in your life, that we just refuse to repent of. No, I'm just gonna keep that. Enemy, I'm gonna negotiate with you. You can have this, this, and I'll go to church. I'll go to church every now and then. I'll, you know, I'll do that. But, but man, over here, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna dabble with you. And unrepentant, repetitive sin is a portal where the enemy just keeps getting territory. And some of you know what I'm talking about. There's just something in your life that you have minimized, that you've pushed away. You know the Lord is saying, you need to release this. Today is the day. Today is the day. Number four, occult involvement, knowingly or unknowingly. Listen, when we think of the occult, we think of, of you know, things that, um, that go bump in the night. We think of occult leaders. We think of witchcraft and Ouija boards. And that certainly is part of this. But what we don't think of is things like pornography that is a portal from hell, a portal from hell. And when we view the degradation of God's image on the human body and in human sexuality, and we let that just take over our mind and we do that season after season, what happens? We've allowed the enemy to come in and we've allowed him to take major territory in our mind. How do I know this? Because I know this was introduced to me very early on in my life. And for seasons, I had to fight with it. And I'm telling you, I'm one bad season away. And so I have to say that, and I have to be in a, in a house where people can handle that, where I can say, hey, I don't want this ever in my life again. So I need to be around people who can handle me saying, hey, pray for me, I don't wanna fall into temptation. I don't wanna travel by myself. I don't wanna do things that would cause any of that to get back in my house. Two and a half years ago, I had to say, you know what? There's a stronghold in my family of alcoholism and it's taken over generations of my, of my family. You know, where other people can freedom in Christ, have a drink, other people can just go to a party and it's no big deal. Not me. God said to me, you can have more of it or you can have more of me, but you can't have both. And so I had to say, all right, Lord, whatever you want from me, I want more of you. Some of you have that in your life right now. Maybe it's not alcohol. Maybe it's not pornography, but there is a portal 
by which you have allowed the enemy to come in and you've made agreements and your, your prayers are hitting the ceiling, your heart is hardened, people talk to you about the Lord and you roll your eyes either literally or figuratively, you have a spirit of accusation, you have a spirit of cynicism, you have a spirit of mockery all over you and that is not of the Lord, it is straight from hell and you can get off of it today. It's time, it's freedom y'all. And in order for us to have freedom, we have to declare war on these things. Number five, generational family line issues. I just told you about one in mine. Maybe it's divorce. Maybe it's substance abuse. Maybe it's racism. I don't know. But today you say, not on my watch. I'm not passing this on. And then finally, number six, environmental proximity. Some of us get in contact with or encounter people who have oppressions on them. We've counseled them. We've discipled them. We've been in the room with them. We've come into their house. And you know it took days or weeks and you couldn't figure it out. What is on me? What is on me right now? And it all goes back to being in proximity with someone that something, something or a community of demonic agreements were made and it has affected you. And in the name of Jesus, that can, that can go away. Thank you so much for joining us. And a special thank you to those who give to Waymaker Church. It is because of you that our ministry is possible. Visit waymaker.church to give now. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe. You can also share it with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Now go make a way.